On this episode of Careers Unfiltered, Bryce had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Jeremy Saucier, who received his PhD in history from the University of Rochester in 2010. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Careers Unfiltered. I'm Bryce. Uh, we do not have Danae with us today, but I am super happy to have Jeremy Saucier, who is the Assistant Vice President for Interpretation and Electronic Games at the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Yeah, so uh, just, just a bit of background for, for our listeners here. So Jeremy uh, got a BA in American Studies at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and then moved on to the University of Rochester, where he got his PhD in history in 2010. And since then, Jeremy has had visiting professorships at the University of Rochester, Hobart and William Smith, and St. Bonaventure, all in upstate New York. So Jeremy, I'd love if you could, just to start us off, tell us a bit about why you chose history to begin with and what drew you to that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I started really... I guess, growing an interest in history from just time that I'd spent with um, my grandfather when I was a kid. Uh, my grandfather was a veteran of the Korean uh, War as well as the Vietnam War. Uh, and it always sort of perplexed me uh, as I grew older that, that that had played such a large part in his life and was wondered about, like, how does someone go to war twice um, when I'm probably never going to myself once. Um, so really as a kid, I, I was interested in that, uh, those kinds of questions. I, I think also had a, a kind of class consciousness as a, as a kid, just the way I grew up. And so I, I just, I had a lot of questions about the way things were and, uh, and how we arrived there. And so that was, you know, one of the, the ways that it's kind of the first lens that I used to, to explore those questions. Where do people come from? What are the histories of, uh, of those communities and, and uh, the different things that happen there? And, you know, what ends up happening to these people like my grandparents or my parents? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting kind of personal connection to your studies. And, and so now you're, you're at the Strong Museum of Play. Could you tell us a bit about what it is you do, what your position entails? Sure. So as Assistant Vice President for Interpretation and Electronic Games, there's, uh, I'd say that, you know, there's really a few different aspects of my position. And, and maybe what I should say first is, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Strong uh, National Museum of Play, a little bit about what the Strong is. Uh, and the, the Strong really cares for uh, the most comprehensive collection of playthings in the world. Um, but, you know, so, so it's a collections-based museum, but, but I really see it as so much more than that. Uh, it's, you know, when you think about what is a museum in the 21st century, um, it, really the best of them are these educational institutions that engage uh, with the public in ways that not all institutions are able to do. And uh, the base of that comes from our collections. Uh, and so we're, you know, part of our mission is to uh, collect, preserve, and interpret 
the history of play, uh, because play uh, has uh, had such an important role in the growth of human development, um, but also how it all, you know, it, it illuminates our, our cultural history as well. So, so my job kind of, you know, maps over the, the larger interests of the institution. And so um, coming in as somebody with um, a PhD in history, uh, my skill set in research, writing, analyzing uh, historical materials. Um, so I do a little bit of um, all of those sort of collecting, interpreting, and, and preserving. And uh, so to, to give you a couple of examples of that, so I work closely with our curatorial team and our collections team uh, to, to um, really help build collections, in particular around electronic games. And so sometimes I have the opportunity to work with you know people who are in the video game industry, uh, both individuals, sometimes companies, uh, where we're trying to document uh, the the history of potentially a game that they've made or uh, or an entire company. On the the side of preservation, right, we're we're tasked with uh, preserving all of these objects and materials that uh, we've collected, and so I work closely with our collections team and with conservators uh, at the museum. Uh, and, and in particular, in my role with electronic games, it's really continuing this uh, longer conversation that we're having about what does it mean to preserve a video game, which is actually a, a really challenging uh, question. Uh, and then on the uh, interpretation side, it revolves around you know, research and writing, uh, and in particular, uh, exhibit development uh, and another role of mine at the museum uh, is uh, as editor of the American Journal of Play, uh, which is a scholarly journal that um, focuses on the history, the culture, and, and the, the science of play. So, uh, you know, maybe not surprisingly, like other folks who are at non-for-profits uh, and, you know, museums, you wear a lot of hats, you do a lot of things, and, um, but it's, it's never, never boring. Yeah, and for listeners in the Rochester area, if you have not been to the Strong before, I would highly recommend it. Growing up in upstate New York myself, I went there as a child, and I was just blown away. And, and so that, that kind of outward-facing side of the museum is, is probably very different. That, that, that's, that's the thing that people imagine when they think of the Strong. And it's very different from the, all the archival work that you're doing, and you touched up, upon that in your response. So I'd love if you could talk a bit more about kind of the, the archival responsibilities of, of the museum in your position. Well, sure. And Bryce, that's, that's a great point because um, when I came out to the U of R to, to get my PhD, I had no idea that the Strong Museum, you know, I had no idea that the Strong existed. Uh, and it wasn't until a professor had said to me, you know, hey, because of the research that I was doing and some of my interests, um, I, ended up writing a dissertation on the history of army advertising, which is clearly not, you know, does not seem directly relevant to a museum of play. But, um, but at the time, a professor had said, you know, they have a lot of war toys. They have a lot of materials based on war play. You should check it out. And, you know, going over there, realizing that, well, they have a, you know, a, a, a really major research library 
this is a really dynamic place. So that, that was the first time that I had ever uh, experienced it. It was as a graduate student at, at U of R, um, having not grown up uh, in, uh, in the Rochester area. But what I discovered uh, in interviewing for a job at the, the Strong and then working there is that it really is this dynamic place where it, it, it mixes these, um, you know, these roles of uh, collecting and, and uh, developing exhibits and caring for objects and um, you know, the, the, the work of actually doing this archival work that, that, you, uh, that you referenced, uh, which a lot of people don't see when they come to, uh, or, 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 or don't necessarily think about when they, they come to the museum. So, um, you know, to give you an example of this, we have the, uh, the Brian Sutton Smith Library and Archives of Play. And this is, you know, so it's the, the research library that we have at the museum. It's, it is open to the public by appointment. Um, and that archive includes things like the corporate records for Atari, um, particularly for their coin-op division. So, you know, going back to their development of the first uh, really commercially successful arcade video games, uh, you know, it's, it, I like to think about it as being sort of akin to having the corporate records for Ford, um, you know, who was, were so influential in the early auto industry. So, you know, but on top of that, we have uh, materials that, uh, help document the uh, the role that individuals have played. A collection I'm particularly proud of uh, is from the family of um, the late Jerry Lawson. And uh, Jerry Lawson was uh, an African-American engineer who was in Silicon Valley at a time when, you know, there were not a lot of black engineers. You know, he would have usually been the, the only um, person of color in, in a room and he helped lead uh, a team that developed the first commercial cartridge-based video game system, right? So if you've played really any video game console in your lifetime, uh, you, you owe that some, you know, some of that in part to the work that, that Jerry Lawson and his team did uh, back in the mid-1970s. You know, so that, that whole model of creating software uh, where you're essentially, you know, the razor blade, the razor and razor blade model, right? Giving, giving away the console or, or, or selling the console at a, at, at a break even or loss even to sell uh, the software kind of comes out of, of that period and, and from, those, uh, from those folks. So uh, that's the kind of work that we do that, you know, what's great about it is that some of those materials will go on display they're out for our guests to see and for them to experience. Um, but a lot of work goes into cultivating relationships to get those materials. A lot of work goes into preserving um, and to, to archiving those materials, right? Creating a finding aid, putting them all in acid-free folders and you know, all of that sort of stuff that, that goes into it. And so there's, there's a tremendous amount of stuff that happens uh, behind the scenes that uh, allows the strong to really be the the leader in in this space. Yeah, and one thing you touched upon in that response that I think is really interesting, and you see this across a lot of humanities disciplines, is kind of the difference between the way that the general public may see something 
in the way that someone who, who has a lot of experience in digging deep and doing these re- this research and asking questions might see something. And I think there's a parallel there, both with the strong as an institution, but also in, in your work. And so I think that's really interesting, that kind of thread there. And, and I want to tie that in a bit to your, your academic experience. So think back to, to your, under, your, your time as an undergrad. First, would you have imagined that you're, you're in the position that you are now? And two, what, what kind of drove you to get the PhD in history? I mean, if you were, I've been at the Strong for uh, almost eight years. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, even that I would have imagined myself at, in, in, this, uh, in this place and in this position, I would have said, you're crazy. Uh, so as an undergraduate, I, hadn't, I couldn't even fathom that possibility, which I think is a, which I think is um, a great point too, Bryce, just in thinking about that so many uh, of the opportunities that we come across in life are completely unexpected and, um, and, and you can do all the planning in the world, but there are jobs that you don't even know that you're going to be uh, passionate about. There are jobs that you don't even know exist. And I think that that was extremely important for me because, you know, as an undergraduate, I had the opportunity to go to a place where, I mean, I learned so much from being uh, at Wesleyan um, because I, I came from a family where no one had, you know, had gone to college. I was a first generation college student. You know, my of my uh, my brothers, uh, there were four four of us. I was the only one to even graduate from high school. So. Um, I didn't have a lot of models uh, outside education for, you know, what does it mean to be a professional? What does it, you know, what what does a career actually mean? What, you know, I, I really had no sense of that. And I think my experience at, at Wesleyan, um, and I, I focused on American studies there, uh, in part because I was just fascinated with so many different things. Uh, and I love the idea of interdisciplinary work, right, and making these connections between history and sociology and art and political science and these different fields. And so the the thing I, I think I, I realized at Wesleyan was that I, I wanted to be involved in education in some way. Um, I thought, you know, of course, your first thought is like, well, then I'll probably teach. But I knew I wanted to be involved in education because I could already see that that had done so much for me. Um, and, and so I felt really like I wanted to, to, to kind of give back in that way. And I think just through conversations with mentors um, and professors, you know, there, there was a, an interest in pursuing history in part because I, I think I, I got some really good advice, um, which was that, you know, you've you've uh, focused on on American studies, and you've you've gotten a lot of. And American studies does have it's an interdisciplinary uh, program, but it, it has you know sort of core methodologies. But the advice that I'd gotten from uh, my advisor at the time, uh, Rene Romano, uh, was that you know you you may want to consider really learning a discipline. Uh, and so I, I looked at history and uh, and ended up looking at U of R, really because in my, my junior year, when I started looking at writing my uh, honors thesis, I had read an article by Robert Westbrook, a history professor at the U of R, 
that was about pinups during World War II. And he made these connections between these pinups that um, you know, soldiers put in their uh, barracks or you know, even in their planes or their, you know, what, and the problem of political obligation in uh, liberal you know, democracies. And, and that sort of that, you know, the, bringing those two things together was fascinating to me. And so I, I sort of thought about this might be somebody I want to work with. Uh, and so that's really how I, you know, it just grew over time, really. But a lot of it really was owed to the fact that I had tremendous teachers and mentors that um, were able to, to, to act as models for me because I hadn't found it in, in other places. Yeah. And, and I think one thing that, that you, you kind of talked about a lot there, specifically with humanities and these sort of interdisciplinary questions, I'm a sucker for that as well. Um, one of the professors that I've worked with a lot here, um, his main focus of study is colonial Mexican music. And he, he wrote an entire dissertation on how the music from from the colonial era in Mexico reveals a lot about their society. And I see a lot of similarities in the kind of history work that you, that you do and, and what you mentioned from the professor from U of R there. So after you got your PhD in history, what, what was your first step out, out of, out of that program? Yeah. So I, um, I was under, um, I, I guess what I should say is I, I was, I knew that getting a job was going to be a challenge. Um, and so I had, I had spent some energy, you know, reading the Chronicle of Higher Education, reading all the articles, you know, uh, talking to whoever I could about uh, the job market and thinking about the academic job market in, in, um, in particular. But I think before thinking about my first step out of, out of graduate school, I should mention too that what was incredibly helpful at the U of R was that in the history department, I, I not only was able to, to TA, which I thought was incredibly valuable and, and to teach it at the U of R, but also the history department was able to, um, they helped me get a, a position um, working on a digitization project at the Rochester Museum and Science Center. Uh, so that was my first sort of foray into you know, the museum world. Uh, and I also worked as the assistant editor of the Reviews in American History Journal, which was at the U of R at the time uh, under the uh, editorship of, of Thomas Slaughter. And I have to tell you that, that, you know, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. And that, you know, that, that when I look back on it now, I mean, it, it explains a lot about kind of where I, where I ended up. But when I, when I finished it at U of R, I had... I'd gone through a lot of, you know, the, the, the phone interviews, the, you know, the uh, conference interviews, some campus interviews, and hadn't landed a, a position. And I ended up, um, one of the positions that I did not get, they ended up having a failed uh, search. And so through um, one of my, I think the second reader of, on my dissertation, uh, I was approached to see if I wanted to work there as a, you know, on a one-year uh, visiting position. And, and so I, I did that. Um, and so my, my first step really, Bryce, was, was okay, let's, let's take a shot at um, the academic job market. And, and I did that. And, you know, for about a year, 
at St. Bonaventure, which you know was was a was a great experience in the sense of it taught me. I probably learned more from that experience than the students learned from me in the classroom uh, by far. Um, but it but it taught me a lot about what I really wanted to get out of that degree that I got. And uh, I enjoyed teaching, um, but I wasn't sure that it was the the thing that, you know, was sort of going to get me up in the morning. Uh, and then it was also, you know, you get to a point where you also realize that people's lives are complicated and, and that these decisions around careers are not based solely on whether you're passionate about something or, or not. And um, for me, it was, I was at a point in my life at that time where I wanted to start a family. Um, you know, my spouse had a, had a job that, um, you know, that they really enjoyed. And I was actually living away from my spouse at the time. So I, I should probably mention that. So that experience was a, was, was, was great. And what it taught me, it was very difficult for me. Um, and it, it made me realize the things that I would, was willing to do and, and not willing to do. Um, you know, moving further. And, and so I took another uh, job like that uh, at Hobart. And again, wonderful experience, wonderful students um, did not end up turning into anything permanent. And, you know, I haven't told, you know, this is a story I haven't told very often, but, you know, there was a time in between when I, when I got the job at the Strong and that I, um, you know, it stopped working at Hobart where it was really a, 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 a sort of crossroads for me uh, where I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and I actually remember going to U, the U of R campus at the time there, I had a friend of mine who was still in the program and, um, and uh, the history program that is, and I was sitting down talking to her and I was looking online, I was explaining to her, you know, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to look, you know, I've been looking at volunteer positions at museums and, uh, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm going to maybe do that just so I can kind of get some more experience and, and uh, meet some new people. And I was literally looking um, online at the Strong's website and came across this position at the time, which was the assistant director for their uh, International Center for the History of Electronic Games. And I immediately, like it, it almost took my breath away because I was like, I immediately had this feeling of like, I can do that. But also if you actually read the job description, I was like, I don't think anyone can do that. <laughs> um, you know, that came in a moment where I was just like, I'm like, I'm not sure really what I'm going to do. But again, that, that opportunity came out of nowhere. And I mean, obviously, ultimately, I'd end up getting that position, and that would start my my career really in museums and at the Strong. But it it came as a real surprise. But that position, you know, the, those positions that I was able to get while I was at the U of R got me that experience working on a journal. Now I edit a journal. Um, it got me that experience working, you know, somewhat in a museum. Now I work at a museum, and by, I think, again, luck, um, while I was in graduate school, my undergraduate advisor uh, approached me and said, hey, you know, I'm working on a, a book, an edited collection um, about how to, you know, the, the sort of the issues around doing 
uh, recent history, right? What are the different questions and, and different problems that, that come with doing that? She said, you know, would you be interested in maybe contributing something and talked about it? And I was like, you know, I did some, I, you know, I did some work on video game, um, on video game history when I was working on my dissertation, particularly looking at the way that the army has um, used video games in their branding and, and recruiting efforts. And so I thought about, you know, I, a lot of historians haven't really grappled with how to use a video game as a historical source. So then I wrote, you know, I wrote an essay on that and, and published that. So, so all these things really came together, Bryce, at, at a moment that you could have never anticipated, right? So I'd had this, you know, these, these different experiences and the, and the things really lined up and, and, you know, lucky for me, I was able to, to take advantage of the opportunity and, you know, now here I am eight years later. Yeah. And, and so, so often on this podcast, you know, it, it's a career focused podcast, but, but what, what you mentioned there in that response about the personal issues weighing on your career, that, that's an extremely part, a, extremely important part of everyone's career journey that we should probably talk about more. And, and I think it's, it's incredible that this position that you are in now, has, is, it was kind of almost destiny in, in some way <laughs> where it just kind of dovetails through all of your different sort of experiences. And I, I think that's, that's, that's really wonderful. Um, we're about out of time. Before we go, I would love if, if you had, you know, to distill some sort of advice to a previous version of yourself, what, what would that be? Just that little nugget of, of wisdom or whatever else you may call it. Yeah. I mean, I think really staying open-minded and, and realizing, you know, there, there's going to be lows and there's going to be highs. Um, I, I try to sort of ride somewhere in the middle, um, but really being open-minded because, um, you know, you can look for that, um, that thing that you're passionate about, right? You could spend a lot of time doing that. And honestly, you, you may not, you know, just find that thing, right? You may, you may think you kind of know what it is, um, and it turns out that it may not be that thing. Um, and so I think if I could really go back and, t- and give myself advice, I'd say, you know, it's really just as important um, to, to become passionate about the things that you do find. And, uh, and I see that every day with the people that I work with in that uh, oftentimes you're dealing with people who are not coming necessarily from museum backgrounds or video game backgrounds, right? Or whatever it may be, right? There's no school for training curators of video games, right? And so, you know, be open to, to those opportunities. Yeah, that, that is a theme across all disciplines, across all backgrounds, really. Open-mindedness and, and openness to experience really is so important. Uh, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I'd like to thank you. This has been an awesome episode. And yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, you know, I, I really wish uh, something like this existed back when I was uh, struggling with figuring out what to do with, with my own life. But uh, I, I really appreciate it. So thank you. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on your podcast listening platform choice, subscribe, and share us with your friends. 
Thank you so much. And see you next time on Careers Unfiltered.